And hello everyone and welcome to episode number 21 of the Trick or Treaters podcast. I'm your host Kyle and as always I'm joined by my co-host JR. JR, I can't believe um, I said episode 21. We've already done 20 episodes of this podcast, man. How, how, how do you feel about that and, and how are you doing today? Well, first, it I mean, we started this with our first show, which was covering 13 Ghosts, you know, basically five months ago, it seems. Yeah. And that, and it just started with us, you know, chit-chatting, you know, behind the scenes on Twitter, UI, and our friend Maria, who's, you know, taking the sabbatical for, you know, for family reasons. Yeah. And, you know, we, we love her and, you know, shout out to her and she'll be back, you know, relatively soon when she's ready to. But, you know, very quickly, you know, I have no idea why, but as I said, every time for me, it's always funny to think about that we have a following and people love us and we were asked to be part of the slashing cast, you know, network, which I always just think it's hilarious because I feel like I'm just a giant, you know, dork, you know, that watches <laughs> movies and I get a chance to talk about it with, you know, other great people like you and then our friends like we did with Dennis and Carla and and our uh and Jess and Cece from the Scream Queens and it to me like I was talking to my brother about it today. You know, now we got merchandise. And it's just the craziest thing to me because for me, this is this has been just a blast and a, and a great time getting a chance to talk about, you know, movies that we love, horror movies, you know, both good and bad, but a genre that you and I both love and I've gotten into and got a chance to get back into since we started, you know, recording um, last year. So it's, I love it and I can't wait to continue to do more. And if this is just the beginning, I can't wait to see what the future takes us, you know, especially when it comes to Halloween. Halloween time of 2021. Oh yeah, couldn't agree more with you. And uh, I'm glad you mentioned the, the merchandise. Uh, uh, yes, you heard that right, everybody. And uh, if you didn't know, if you don't uh, have social media or follow us on any social media, don't know why. If you uh, don't follow us on social media and you do have like a Twitter or Instagram, you can find us at Trick or Treat Pod on both of those, uh, and on Facebook at the Trick or Treaters Podcast. Highly recommend uh, giving us a follow, and uh, uh, you can keep up with everything everything that we do there. But uh, we did recently open up a merch store on tpublic.com, and we have uh, we have uh, we have shirts, masks, uh, mugs. And just all, all kinds of stuff. And uh, we have our first design. It's just our it's just our logo. And it, uh, we recently got a new logo designed by Brian of the Dead in Santa Carla podcast. And uh, we just want to say a, a thank you to Brian for designing that for designing that logo. Uh, we love it, and we're very happy to feature it on our merch. And I can't, yeah, and I mean the website. Literally, it's 
there's everything except hats, which eventually we're going to have to get hats because I'm a hat guy. Like, I have a collection of hats, and I just love wearing hats. Um, so it's 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 gonna be this is just great i mean i think it's just awesome that we finally have we do have merchandise and and there's just we continue to go on like i said i can't wait to see where we're at you know come halloween time which is that's our time of the year as for everybody who's a horror fans it's halloween time oh yeah i can't wait for halloween i've actually been kind of brainstorming ideas for for october for us to cover and stuff and i have a i have a general idea of what i want to do but uh I'll talk about that more when it gets closer to time. But uh, t- today uh, we're talking about uh, one. Uh, we're talking about my favorite uh, movie of all time. It's been it, it, ever since I first saw it. This movie's just always stuck with me. I mean, it, it seems like uh, everybody always has that one movie that, like, when you first see it, you connect to it, and you just really don't, don't understand why. But it just hits you in all the right ways and you, it just never leaves you. And that's how this movie is, is to me. The, the crow's always been, we're talking about uh, 1994's the crow. And uh, this movie has always stuck with me. It's always been my favorite movie of all time. Uh, I really don't think that's ever, ever going to change. And uh, I, I know you recently just watched it for the first time. Yeah, I t- I watched it today before we recorded because especially with movies I've I've never seen before, I want to see it right before we we do our podcast because I want it to be fresh in my mind. And I just honestly don't know why I never saw it. I always knew the story, you know, about the movie The Crow and, and the unfortunate tragedy that happened with uh, Brandon Lee. And as I said last week when we started talking about, you know, how this movie kind of has a little bit closer is you and this is your favorite movie but us as wrestling fans the character of the crow um is kind of taking a part of wrestling when um the wcw superstar at the time and now you know hall of famer legend of professional wrestling sting when he switched as his his gimmick from the surfer sting with the bleach blonde hair and the colorful face paint and to a darker he became the crow I mean, the, his face paint is almost identical, if not identical itself, at, the, at least at the beginning. And then it kind of was added a little more black lines as the Crow character in this movie. Yeah, I'm pretty sure uh, I'm pretty sure it, it is identical because I think uh, some of his toys uh uh, actually had to uh, be taken off uh, off the market because of being too much like the Crow of like Eric Draven's uh, 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 face paint and everything. But, uh, yeah, we're talking about the uh, 1984's The Crow. Uh, for those, if you've never seen it, you know, obviously I highly recommend watching it. It's available on HBO Max. I know uh, that's where I watch it. I'm sure there's other places you can watch it. Uh, one of the things that, like, like besides this being like just just being an uh just being in my opinion an, an amazing movie, this movie is like the definition of a cult movie. It, it has a massive cult following, and uh, one of that one of the reasons for it is uh, because uh, unfortunately there was there's tragedy that uh, 
surrounds this movie. I mean, uh, uh, I'm sure anybody listening already knows, but in case you didn't know, uh, the uh, star of the movie, uh, Brandon Lee, and, and yes, you heard that right, Brandon Lee, that's the son of Bruce Lee. Uh, he plays Eric Draven in the movie. And during the filming, he was actually shot and killed during uh, during the movie, during a freak accident. And uh, I guess he'll go over like how that happened uh, before we start talking about the movie. So for anyone who uh, isn't sure about uh, what happened or don't know the facts and everything, here is the story. So shortly after filming one, uh, during filming one night, it was, uh, it was around midnight on March 31st in uh, 1993. Uh, Brandon Lee and some of his co-stars were filming a flashback sequence for the movie in which Brandon's character, Eric Draven and Sophia's character, uh, Shelley Webster, uh, are murdered in their apartment by the uh, gang. And, Brandon's character, uh, Eric, he's supposed to get shot by by Funboy, who is played by Michael Massey. And uh, Funboy's supposed to he he's supposed to have a uh, a forty four Magnum revolver, and he's supposed to shoot from a distance of twelve to fifteen feet away. Well, Brandon had been initially instructed to fall forward after getting shot with what was supposed to be a blank round. It's unknown whether or not Michael was told the point the gun directly at Brandon as different people that were there has said uh, that he was told not to point the gun at Brandon and others have said that he was told to point the gun directly at Brandon. So, you know, you get two different stories there. Not sure which one's uh, true. Well, the cast rehearsed the scene twice without any issue at all. Well, when they were shooting the scene, Brandon walks in the the, the door and he's, he's supposed to have like groceries uh and when he gets when Brandon gets shot, he's supposed to fall backwards as opposed to forward like he was supposed to. Like it's like when he got shot, uh, Brandon Lee fell backwards when he, his character was supposed to fall forward. Well, initially, you know, the cast and crew just thought Brandon was spontaneously changing up the character's uh, actions and they didn't think nothing of it. Well, the director yelled cut. And Brandon didn't get back up. The crew started to think he was just joking around. When they realized he wasn't joking because there was a pull, a pull of blood started coming from where he was laying. They, uh, they ended up calling the ambulance uh, and uh, he, he had to be rushed to the hospital. And he ended up being rushed to New Hanover uh, uh, Regional Medical Center. And he underwent six hours of surgery and was given. He, and at one point, he, he was having he was uh, being given sixty pints of blood because of how much blood he was losing in order just to continue the, the surgery. Well, unfortunately, the efforts to save Brandon were unsuccessful, and he was pronounced dead at uh, at, uh, at one o three p.m. the following day at the age of twenty eight. And when the autopsy was performed on him, a 44 Magnum bullet was removed from his body. And so his official death certificate does cite a gunshot wound uh, to the abdomen ad- ad- as is the cause of death. Now, you're probably thinking, you know, how can how could this have happened? 
uh, you know, obviously they, they use blank rounds. How could this happen? Well, according to people, this is what happened. What led to the incident is apparently the crew was under serious time constraints. And people have stated that the studio was putting pressure on on Alex Froya, the, the director, to finish the film. Well, due to not being able to purchase real dummy bullets, the prop crew tried to make their own dummy bullets from live rounds uh, by just cutting the tips off of them and uh, unloading the gunpowder. Well, the bullets were loaded into the 44 Magnum revolver uh, and uh, at the same point during the filming, uh, they were fired with the bullets still in the chamber. But when the gun was fired, uh, the, the tip of one of the bullets remained lodged in the barrel. The production crew ended up sending the weapons expert home early. And the handling of the weapons was left to the prop crew who were unaware that the guns needed to be checked and clean after every usage. You know, so first of all, you know, this could have all been avoided if they wouldn't have sent the weapons expert home. Like, I don't even know why they even sent him home early. That makes no sense. If, if you're going to be, you know, doing a stunt like this, why in the hell would you send your weapons expert home? And, uh, so, you know, you, you know so they were going to be handling that and they had no idea that you're supposed to check it, check after every usage. Well, when the blanks were loaded, into the, the into the gun, the prop crew either didn't notice or disregarded the uh, the bullet that was obstructed in the gun. But when Michael shot the gun, the explosive charge of the power of powered gases of the blank caused the bullet fragment to be fired at Brandon uh, with the same force as a live round. So it struck him in the admin, and it just you know it, it fatally killed him. It fatally wounded him. So Brandon's death was investigated by Wilmington police and was uh, ultimately ruled as an accident due to negligence. Hegelance. And the following, uh, and after he died, uh, his mom, Linda Lee uh, Codwell, uh, she sued the filmmakers actually for the hardagulance that caused Brandon's death. And uh, she actually got a, a lawsuit was settled out of court. And uh, she's uh, I think it, they said uh, she settled for the amount of like three million dollars and the footage of his death was destroyed. So in the movie, like I, there, there's always been like uh, for years, everybody's always said that, oh, they uh, they used real footage of him dying in the movie. That that's untrue. Uh, nothing in the movie uh, was of that or the footage where he got killed is ever used at all. And it, it, it's uh, it's a very tragic accident that you know easily could have been avoided. But uh, in the aftermath of his, of his death, uh, this actually changed the way uh, guns and stuff was handled on film, uh, on filming and stuff uh, on film sets. Uh, apparently, now guns aren't allowed to be pointed at any actors ever, no matter what. And you're, you're supposed to use camera tricks when you're, uh, you know, shooting uh, gun scenes and you're supposed to shoot off to the side now and everything. So uh, what's your take on all this, JR? Well, I know I know a little bit about firearms because my brother, he was a certified marksman and he has been a gun collector for almost two decades now. And 
you know, when you're shooting in general at a target, and when I mean a target, I'm talking about if you're at a shooting range, you're at, you know, whether it's indoor, outdoor, you shoot. The first thing you do is always you have to check, you have to check your um, your firearm, whether it's a revolver, whether it's a, um, a magazine clip, whether it's a rifle, it doesn't matter. Anything that that is a firearm, you have to check and you automatically assume any firearm is loaded and you never point it at somebody. Obviously in Hollywood, you're pointing it at somebody. So and based on what we've read, there is additional measures in place to make sure there's some system, essentially adding additional system measures to protect everybody when there is a firearm. And what happened was, and I don't know how it got to this point, it's what's called a squib load. That's the that's the, the proper term for it. And that is when you shoot a live round and a part of that live round gets stuck inside the chamber, as you had mentioned. So there is, um, because a bullet is essentially, you have a, a cartridge, the gunpowder and the harp, the slug is the, is the actual load that go that shoots out the projectile so that i don't know how much of it but if it was part of it or all of it but that was stuck in the chamber and so the person is responsible to when they're going into this particular type of scenes that you're going to shoot somebody to make sure everything is cleared because when you have that type of percussion of a of a powder that percussion, if you just slip in, it could be a it could be a pin, it it could be a small little you know piece of metal, it could be a button. It's going to shoot out. There's actually a, a YouTuber named his name is Demolition Ranch. That's what he does is weird stuff like that. And it's it, anytime you're a firearm, you do anything, you got to be a trained professional. It's nothing for the light of heart because people can get seriously hurt. And in fact, in a normal situation, if you have a squib load and you put another live round inside of it, the gun can potentially blow up. Like it's a very dangerous thing to have a squib load. And with percussion, there's actually a percussion type of because um, I've seen this online. There's a percussion type of um, extermination tool to kill. Uh, gophers that if they hit this trap it will literally give give off a percussion type that the percussion itself would kill the gopher so i mean this is a strong thing and this whole situation could easily be avoided because whoever was there even if they didn't have the weapons experts which should have been there for something like this you know anytime you're doing this my assumption is you have to have somebody who's the person in charge but they should know that we need to check this like this isn't something that that should go off because like i said even if you drop um it was the movie um i don't know if you remember the movie the prestige with christian bell and hugh jackman and michael kane and that was one thing they talked about was the tricks and about shooting the um you know, shooting the gun, the flick lock pistol, he goes, all it takes is somebody to, to take it from you and put a button in there and there goes your hand. And that's the same, that same concept is with this situation, why, why they should have checked it. So 
it's extremely unfortunate. It's something it should never happen to begin with. They should have had measures in place, and the people were at fault a hundred percent. It was it was laziness. It was recklessness. Um, it was unsafe, and it was a risk that should not have been allowed. And it's extremely unfortunate because, like, I saw this movie for the first time today, and you this is one of your favorite movies, and I quickly realized why this has a cult following. And I saw, you know, Brandon Lee in that role, and I instantly fell in love with them. And halfway through the film, I, I was like, I can't believe this is the last film. Like, I, for sure, I thought this guy could potentially have a major, um, you know, up film career after this after this movie. It's it's really sad. Yeah, yeah, it's it, it, yeah, it's really sad that at that you know, young age of twenty eight, uh, we had this this young actor taken away like there's just no telling where he would be right where he'd be today if, if this uh tragedy didn't happen like uh, th- there's numerous times where i'm watching I'll, I'll see a movie or i'll watch a movie and i'll just think to myself you know brandon brandon lee would do really good in this role like this this movie made was gonna make him a st- absolute star and there's no telling where he would be today if this wouldn't happen uh, what's real sad is that um, uh, Michael Massey, who played Fun Boy, who was the one who 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 shot uh, who shot the gun, uh, he was so traumatized uh, and distraught over this that he actually stopped acting for over a year just because he was so depressed over this, and uh, he died in 2016. But uh, uh. Up and uh, for as far as I know, uh, from everything I've read, uh, he has never seen the movie. And uh, yeah, I, I saw that. Yeah, and uh, for those like you know wondering, like uh, uh, most of the movie was finished before Brandon died, but some scenes weren't needed to be uh, weren't finished. So after he died. Uh, Alex Perez, the the director, he was faced with the decision to either complete the film or leave it unfinished. Well, he actually like wasn't gonna complete it. You know, he was so upset over what happened. Well, uh, it was uh, with uh, because of support and approval from Brandon's mother and his fiance Eliza uh, Eliza Dutton. Uh, she uh, he, Alex decided to finish the film. Well, the, the the beginning of the film wasn't finished, which is you know what they were filming when Brandon died, and uh, so they had to they had to rewrite they had to rewrite that. And then uh, for those who don't know, uh, there's actually a, an entire whole another thing that had to be taken out of the movie and scrapped all together. Where my, uh, uh, I don't know if you know him or not, J.R. Michael Berryman, who was a real famous horror icon who played and uh who played in both of Wes Craven's Heels Have Eyes and he's had numerous other great roles. Uh, he was supposed to be in this movie as the skull cowboy, uh, who was supposed to uh be more like a spiritual guide for for Eric uh, th- th- throughout the movie and kind of keep keep him on the right path and make sure he doesn't stray from his his initial goal. But that had to be all cut. Well uh I think it's on the Blu-ray. It may be on the DVD. 
you can see some of the deleted scenes. Uh, there's some deleted scenes where you can see some of the footage that they shot for that. But uh, they they had to cut all that out and just rewrite uh, a, a few scenes and and you know reorder some of the script to kind of make everything make sense. But uh, the remaining scenes for Brandon that uh, he had to finish filming, they ended up completing them with stunt doubles, and they ended up just CGIing uh, Brandon's face over the faces of the stunt doubles. And uh, like it's not it's not like like real bad like uh, most of the time you can't even really notice uh, and and there's a quite a few things where like stunt doubles uh, uh you know stunt doubles were being used but uh it was for scenes where like uh you don't see uh Eric's face it's just more like hidden off in the shadows so it was easy to film those I don't think it was you know too hard to do. And I think it was it was pulled off really uh, really good in the film too. Uh, what sucks though is that uh, after this all the tragedy happened, Paramount was originally supposed to distribute the film, but they ended up backing out due to everything due to all the filming delays and and then Brandon's death and everything. Uh, well, and you know that obviously was a huge uh, huge hit for the film. Well, Miramax actually ended up stepping in and. Uh, 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 given an additional eight million dollars for them to finish uh, the movie, and they ended up picking the film up and it, they ended up releasing it uh, uh, finally in, on May eleventh, nineteen ninety four. But uh, that's pretty. That's like pretty much everything surrounding what happened and everything that went on after that. Uh, if, if anyone listening wants to. Uh, Wants to kind of get on, get uh, wants to kind of get an idea of it for yourself. Uh, uh, you can what there's a, a series on Shutter called Cursed Films, uh, and they have an episode on the Crow and about all this tragedy. So you can you can you can watch that and uh, it'll explain it a lot better and everything. I highly recommend it. Uh, it's a really good episode. Yeah, I was just going to – I mean, I, I did see that, and that was a good episode. And you could see the raw motion of the people behind the scenes. There was one There was one part of it um, – I can't remember his name, but they're asking about – they asked him, like, you know, going to the hospital with Brandon Lee, and, and the guy just broke down. He goes, I can't. I just – I don't want to talk about that. So even, you know, over a decade since he was, you know, the unfortunate death of Brandon Lee, you could just tell how they were still shaken up about it. And, I mean, and it's tough because – you know, those people, I, I completely understand they do feel responsible. And, you know, if I was in their shoes, I would feel responsible too. I mean, it's, you know, you can't say enough about how much of a tragedy that is that could have been, you know, that could have been or should have been avoided. Um, just real quick about, you know, what you were talking about with Paramount. I, that is a tough situation to be in because you have to think that um, because of the film, the type of film it is, and you know the unfortunate death that film could have easily been given like you know the the bad step of approval like nobody is going to see this film and then people are going to like be turned off about it you know we're not going to make any money so i completely understand you know paramount and i think they were justified you know in pulling out of it and especially you know with the the filming delays that occurred after the death so um it's tough, and I understand. Yeah, uh, 
yeah, it's a it's a tough situation, and you know, I know I'm not a film. I'm I'm not uh, I'm not involved in film. I'm just a fan of them. So you know, I don't know what I would do in that situation. But I, I'm very happy that Merrimack stepped in. Oh, uh, it, it, besides this tragedy, what's uh, really weird, what's weird and eerie. Uh, so like the, the crows considered like one of the most cursed film productions uh, that there is. There's just, there's all kinds of crazy things that happened during this film. Uh, most of the films after this weren't, weren't successful. And there's been a reboot that's been, been trying to be made for years now that just keeps end up, uh, having stuff happen where people leave or they just end up canceling and and it just doesn't look like it's ever getting made and I, I'm I, I'm kind of glad uh, you know this movie means a lot to me and I really don't know if I want to ever see it be remade I just think it's it's perfect the way it is and just doesn't need to be touched but uh some of the the stuff surrounding uh, this movie in particular. So before production even started, there were several accidents that they ended up happening uh, that led to people having a widespread belief that the film was cursed. A, uh, a carpenter suffer, suffered serious burns on his upper body during the first day of filming. A, a, uh, a worker had a screwdriver uh, get uh, uh, accidentally get embedded in his hand. A, an equipment truck burst into flames. There was a uh, a stuntman that uh, uh, ended up falling through one of the the roofs, and he ended up bro- breaking several ribs. A uh, a rigger uh, was horribly electrocuted uh, after his uh, uh, he was horribly electrocuted. A disgruntled set sc- uh, sculptor uh, actually uh, ended up driving his car through the props room, destroying it. A uh, and they, and then on top of all that, like they had hur- uh, hurricanes uh, came through, a big storm came through and destroyed several of their sets and and everything. This is all you know. Even before what happened with Brandon, like this, there's just all kinds of these guys were just experiencing all kinds of uh, setbacks from the beginning. Who knows? Maybe it was a sign telling them not to make the movie. Who knows? Yeah, you know, one of the things is you and I talk about, we, we had just discussed this about, uh, I know on Dennis and Car- Carla about remakes, and this film should not be remade. I mean, you remake a film for, some, you know, some of the stuff I can think of, like the Godzilla movies, because of they were shot and they're made for, um, you know, they were dubbed over, so I could see you making that for an American audience. I kind of understand the reason why you would make, remake a film like Clash of the Titans because of the they were like oh we have you know new computer graphics and special effects so we look better, but this is a film based you know with the storyline and, and the way it's shot and what goes into it it's there's completely unnecessary to remake this film, and honestly I I looked at some of the sequels and I completely forgot, um, I did see a sequel to The Crow. It was the Crow Wicked Prayer. That's the worst one of the entire I, franchise. <laughs> and when you look at it on paper, you know you have Edward Furlong, who we know from like uh, like Terminator Two and um, yeah. American History X, David uh, Bornance from Angel and Bones, Tara Reid, American Pie, um, Tito Ortiz, who was I, I think at this point he was on the he was 
like on the outs with the UFC. And I believe he made an appearance with TNA, uh, TNA wrestling as a specialist referee. Um, you have Dennis Hopper, who was in Speed and some other movies, and Emmanuel, who I remember her from the movie 100 Girls, and she was on Entourage, and I see Dan- Danny Trejo. So seeing, like, on paper, I'm like, this is, you know, this is, like, probably overall, like, a really good cast of individuals. I mean, and then I saw the film, and I'm like, how could this film be such shit? Like, on paper, this should be better than what it is. And it's so horrible of a film. And just based on that, I'm like, they should never do remakes. Like, I could, and I can understand how you're trying to do, like, you know, the whole concept of the crow and getting the new crow and with somebody else. And, I mean, who doesn't love, you know, Vengeance films are popular. Like, two of my favorite is, um, you know, look at, um, why am I blanking on it? The Punisher. I love the Punisher. I think it's I think it's underrated by a lot of people. The one with the Thomas Jane and John Travolta. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um, that one's I love really the, good. I loved um, the Four Brothers. You know, with you know Tyrese and my, the dude from Boston. Why am I blanking on them? Marky Mark, Mark Wahlberg. I I thought you know that's the whole that's a vengeance film. One that I you know some people like, some people don't. But Law by Citizen with Gerard Butler. I love law-abiding citizen. You know, that's, you know, people love Vengeance films. So, I mean, the concepts there is just, you know, I think this is a movie that just should never be remade and there shouldn't be any sequels either. Yeah, the only, you know, obviously I'm a massive fan of The of the Crow, so I've watched everything they've put out. Uh, the only one that even remotely comes, it, it, it don't even come close to it. But the only one that I can honestly stand watching of the sequels is the 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 direct sequel to the Crow, the Crow City of Angels. That's the only one that I would honestly recommend maybe checking out. The other ones are just awful, awful, awful. Uh, before, uh, uh, going back into some of the you know weird, eerie things in the movie uh there's a scene where whenever eric is uh going into going to the pawn shop he ends up breaking through the the glass door well uh that right there was was break was that was breakaway glass well john paletto uh he told he said that they uh, that uh, you know that was breakaway glass. Well, Eric, uh, well Brandon Lee ended up cutting, ended up cutting himself on that breakaway glass. And Polito said that it was very rare for anyone to get cut by breakaway glass. And uh, he ended up telling Brandon that he feared that he would die in an onset accident, like Vic Morrow did during the filming of the Twilight Zone, uh, during the, 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 the Twilight Zone movie. And you know, unfortunately, his prediction turned out to be true. Uh, another eerie thing is uh, going back because you know, you know, like I said, Bruce Lee always said that his family was was cursed. Well, uh, you know, uh, you know, Brandon Lee, his son died when you know a, a prop gun, you know, he actually gets killed by a real bullet. Uh, his dad, many years. Uh, before this was filming a movie 
uh, called a, a Game of Death, and uh, where Bruce Lee's character, uh, there's a scene in the movie where Bruce Lee's character gets shot by a prop gun, but and is and is hurt by it. I thought that I thought that that was really eerie. Yeah, that's just that's tough. I mean, you know, when you and I were talking about this behind the scenes, you know, we're looking at. I remember there was a, a curse they had talked about, um, and I thought it was about the the whole Crow series, which actually kind of does feel cursed because of that horrible movie that we had just talked about. Yeah, but it's just, man, it's. I've seen something like this one other time that you and I have um, as being wrestling fans, and that's the unfortunate tragedies of the Von Eric family. Yeah. And that's it, just to lose, you know, the, the patriarch of the family, the father, and then losing the son like that. And yeah. Both, in similar fashions. Is, that's tough. Yeah, bo- uh, yeah. Both of them, you know, died in the middle of filming a movie and, uh, for those who don't know, Bruce Lee died whenever he was he was at a uh, a colleague's house and he he complained of a headache and the colleague gave him some uh, I think aspirin and something else and he apparently had an allergic reaction to one of the medications and he had a brain edema and and he ended up dying uh, just out of nowhere at the uh, at the age of thirty two. And what's eerie, uh, what's another eerie thing around that is, you know, uh, Bruce Lee was real superstitious, and uh, he apparently said he used to have premonitions of people telling him that he would die at, at an age uh, half of his father's, when his father did. Well, his father died when he was 64, so Bruce Lee died at 32, so. Uh, it was his premonition came true, and in the permission he also uh, uh, said that his his son would also meet uh, would meet a similar fate, which is really weird. On and then on top of that, uh, you know, Brandon Lee played Eric Draven, and Eric gets killed. Uh, he's when he's killed, him and his fiance are supposed to get married the, the day after, and. Uh, Brandon in real life, Brandon Lee and his fiance Eliza Dutton, they were actually set to marry two weeks after filming was supposed to end. Was supposed to end. And yeah, one of the things course, that, was, uh, um, that I thought about was that you know both of them, Brandon Lee and Bruce Lee. Like one of the things I, I heard about Bruce Lee, and obviously I wasn't I wasn't alive when Bruce Lee was alive. They said Bruce Lee became more popular after he died. That he was a you know he became a bigger deal after his after he had died, which he had died at the age of thirty two in nineteen seventy three. And that's you know the exact same thing when you think about the cool following with the Crow. Brandon Lowe was twenty. Uh, Brandon Lee was twenty eight when he died in nineteen ninety three, and how he became more famous because he he did have a he made um this was his fifth movie. Yeah, he had made, but it seemed like he was he became more popular with this film after his, which was after he had uh, passed away. So that's kind of you know to see both the father and the son essentially become more famous after the death is kind of crazy. Yeah, and in a you know weird way of you know art imitating life, uh, 
you know, uh, he died while filming the scene as Eric Draven getting uh, getting shot and killed and died in the same scene that Eric Draven's supposed to die in, which is really weird. But uh, uh, Brandon, like when JR was mentioning the other films he did, uh, he'd mostly done like uh, mostly done like uh, small budget kung fu movies and stuff. And uh, he took this role as Eric Draven because he wanted to kind of he didn't want to get, you know, stereo casted into that that kung fu uh, uh, top he did in that role. He didn't want to just do those movies for all of his life, and so he took this role as a way to kind of to try and step out of the shadow of his father. And I mean, he he, I mean, he he succeeded. I mean, he's well known. He's pretty much uh, most known for this movie uh, and his others and everything. But uh. That's kind of just all the little backstory behind everything that happened and just you know, weird little incidents on the production and stuff. Because, like I said, the, the, everybody says the, the the Crow is supposed to be considered one of the most cursed productions uh, uh, sets uh, of all time. So it was a little, a little interesting thing to talk about before we get into the movie. But, yeah, uh, so we're talking about 1994's The Crow and Carmen hit the trailer. People once believed that when someone dies, a crow carries their soul to the land of the dead. But sometimes, just sometimes, the crow could bring that soul back to put the wrong things right. Gasoline, I smell. <laughs> Victims, aren't we all? So, The Crow was released on May 11th, 1994. It was directed by Alex Proez, produced by Jeff Most, Edward uh, Pressman, and Grant Hill. It stars, you know, of course, Brandon Lee as Eric Draven, uh, Ernie Hudson, Michael Wincott, uh, Rochelle Davis, uh, who plays Sarah, Ernie Hudson, who plays Sergeant Albrich, who, uh, you know, I'm sure you, most of you know Ernie Hudson from Ghostbusters. Uh, Michael Wincott plays Top Dollar. Uh, Bay uh, uh, Bay Ling plays Mika. Sophia Shane uh, as Shelley Webster. Anna Levine as Darla. Uh, David Patrick Kelly as T Bird. Angel David as Skink. Lawrence Mason as Tintin. Uh, Michael Massey as Fun Boy. And uh, uh, Tony Todd's actually in the movie as well. He plays uh, a henchman uh, henchman named Grange. Uh, John. Polito as Gideon, 
Uh, Bill Raymond is Mickey and uh, Marco Rodriguez is Torres. And uh, it has a runtime of 102 minutes. So, you know, it, it's not too long of a movie. And uh, like I said, it was released May 11th, 1984. It had a budget of $23 million and it made a box office total of $50.7 million. And uh, JR, I'm sure you, you have the numbers for that. Yeah, so one of the things, uh, real quick, when Miramax um, took over to do the distribution, they put an additional $8 million into the budget, which got up to $23 million. Originally had a $15 million um, budget, but because of the production delays, they needed an additional one. So in 1994, $23, $23 million is equivalent to approximately $40 million today. And with the $50 million box office, that's equivalent to about $88 million in 2021. So, you know, that is, you know, double your money back. That's what we, we talk about, you know, I, especially in this type of genre. And for a film that has a low, kind of a low budget, you know, even during that time, $23 million, especially when you're looking at some of the other bigger box office films that like came out in 1994, that's, you know, really, a still really good excuse me, a relatively good chunk of change. I also think, not to get too far into the weeds on that, that this was during a time where we're still kind of in a little bit of a recession that we're trying to get out of. Um, this was around the the Desert Storm Gulf War, and they had talked about some of the things, like basically the economy was kind of down a little bit and it had started to pick up around. Um, this was a time where it started to kind of turn around a little bit, so just throwing it out, that out there. Yeah, and uh, so before we get into it, uh, so like this movie is uh, it's a really dark movie, and not just like in storyline and tone. Like the way it's shot, the colors are very dark, and uh, the reason for that is because the director Alex Perez he originally wanted to shoot the entire movie black and white because uh, for those who don't know, this movie is based off of a comic called The Crow by James o, James O'Barr. And uh, if you never read the comic, it's uh, you know the, the film is it's not a perfect it's not a perfect adaptation of the comic. You know, there's a lot of things that were changed here and there, but uh, it, it's considered a really it's considered a really great uh, a, a, a comic to film at adaptation. And the comic is all black and white. Well, Alex Frias uh, he wanted to uh, film it. Uh, as close to the comics as, as, as he could, but the studio executives wouldn't allow him to, you know, film the movie in just black and white. So, and instead he ended up shooting the movie in more of a monochrome, chromatic color theme, just like more blacks and whites and grays, but mixed with like reds here and there and dark gray. Yeah. I wonder thinking about it, the, immediately you said the first thing I thought about was the film SimCity. Uh, Sin City, so I yeah. wonder how. Obviously, I believe that movie came out a decade after The Crow, so I think the idea is there, and I could see it. It may have been just a little bit uh, ahead of its time, though, with that ideology of let's shoot in black and white. I think as we get into the 2000s, I think that idea would have got uh, got a much better um, response. Yeah, uh, yeah, I can definitely see it. Uh, 
I would like to see this movie in black and white. I think it would, it would, it would be fine. Honestly, it would it'd be like what you said. It's like Sin City. Uh, on the DVD commentary, uh, James O'Barr, the you know the creator of the comic and the basically the creator of the Crow in general, uh, he said that uh, when he met the movie executives uh, for uh, who wanted to you know do a movie on it. Uh, they wanted to make this originally into a musical starring Michael Jackson, and James Abar immediately laughed uncontrollably, thinking it was a joke, only to find out that they were quite serious. It wasn't until Brandon Lee and uh, Alex Fruyas uh, came on board uh, that the movie took a more serious role. Can, can you imagine this is a musical with Michael Jackson? That is by far one of the worst ideas I've ever heard in my life. I cannot imagine. I mean, first of all, like I get the whole King of Pop and how popular he was. And I, you know, and I'm trying to think back my time, you know, and during this time, like what song he came out with. I don't know if it was black or white or I feel like that was around this time. But to take a film or the concept that's this dark and turn it into a musical you talk about doing a 180, those are two completely different ends of the spectrum. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. I just, I couldn't, I can't even possibly remotely imagine it. Oh, uh, a little backstory on the, the comics. Uh, so James O'Barr, uh, he wrote the comics when he was dealing, trying to find a way to deal with his depression because he actually uh, lost his fiance to a drunk driver. And uh, he wrote the comics as he he was a comic book artist and stuff and he he wrote them in a way to kind of deal with his depression so like even the comic is like it's real dark and it's it's you know you can see where he kind of came from when he created this story with what happened oh yeah absolutely i mean when you lose somebody tragically especially in that way it's you know, you're, you get put into a dark place. So I can completely understand how this was an outlet for him. Yeah, no. Uh, even though the, you know the movie is called The Crow, uh, n- uh, all the birds in the movie are not actually crows. They're they're ravens. Uh, and uh, one of the one of the the birds, one of the ravens used uh, was was named Magic. Uh, that raven is used throughout uh, every other movie in the franchise. I wonder, as you said, I'm typing in what a crow looks like and trying to compare that to a raven. And I wonder why they went that route of using ravens and not crows. I can't remember the exact reason why. I think it's. uh, What was it? Uh, I think it's because uh, apparently. Uh, so ravens are, are larger birds and they have like a longer, more impressive beak. And I guess it looked better for the movie that way. Yeah. Cause I'm looking at the pictures and uh, that's what the first thing I noticed is the, the longer pronounced beak. Yeah. A, a little b- before Brandon Lee uh, actually got the role of it as Eric Draven. Uh, originally 
the director, uh, he he wanted Johnny Depp to play Eric Draven, but the executives said no. And also Christian uh, Christian Slater and Re- River Phoenix were also uh, actors that they were wanting to play the role, but the executives said no. I mean, with all due respect to Johnny Depp, who's been in a number of worlds, it just it doesn't fit. Yeah, I mean, all I see is Sweeney Todd and yeah. Scissorhands. I, I just can't honestly see anyone else but Brandon Lee doing this. And he I think the main reason why is because the main reason why is because Brandon Lee in this film is a badass. I mean, oh, he is. He's yeah. he's an action star. So immediately, you anybody who hasn't been in, in an action role, you have to discredit them. And I, I'm not familiar with River Phoenix's work. Uh, Christian Slater just that doesn't even. I mean, I know. I think at this time, I'm trying to remember when Broken Arrow came out. I, I think that came out on '96. I think he was somewhat in like. I think he was tween a little bit as be, like being a popular uh, person, but I don't even. I mean, anybody that was doing anything around 94, I mean, the other one I'm thinking of, like Val Kilmer, like it just doesn't work. Like you got to have somebody who just who's dark and ominous and the way with Brandon, and that is also an action star. And I just don't see that. Yeah, I can't. I can't either. <laughs> uh, what's uh, what's a little, a little a neat little thing is uh, Alex Froyo's director. He said that uh, in the commentary on the Blu-ray that Brandon Lee was unhappy with the way the face paint looked whenever the makeup department applied it to him before shooting. So uh, both of them agreed that it would look best if Lee applied the makeup on his own every night before going to bed and just slept in it so that when he woke up, his face paint would be naturally look more worn out. And that's why in the movie, like it's got that effect. And I think that that looks way better than actually a makeup department applying it, uh, you know, right before they shoot. Cause like you can tell throughout the movie, it, it just looks worn out. It doesn't look like it's freshly on there. Yeah. Um, it definitely didn't look like it was like it was freshly done real quick though. I was like looking up 1994 action films and was coming up and it's true. Cause I think feel like that's who was popular at the time. It was Schwarzenegger and John Call Van Damme and Steven Seagal. Those were like your main like action stars during this time. It was a very different era than I think what we see nowadays. Um, and those are the ones who were really dominating the scene. The only the only other one who was kind of around, um, I think, who was about to get his start was Jet Li, who potentially could have pulled it off because I think he had the, the look. But the minute you had him start talking, he would have lost it. Yeah, in the uh, in the reboot that they've been trying to do for years, but everything happens and they, they, they end up end up end up just not working out anytime. Uh, uh, the last thing I heard before he walked away from it was uh, Jason Momoa was supposed to be, uh, was wanting to play Eric Draven and he got casted and everything. And there's been pictures of him in the face paint and everything. But then he ended up walking away from the film. And and so far, there's it's just kind of sitting there. It's 
I don't even know it's ever if it's ever gonna get made. I honestly don't want it to. Uh, yeah, let's uh let's go ahead and get let's go ahead and get into the review. So like when we, when we open the movie up, you see like a you see like this city like on fire and stuff. And the way that they did that, uh, that's not like CGI or anything. They actually used uh they actually used miniatures. And that they use miniatures throughout a lot of the scenes in this movie uh, over over CGI and stuff uh, just to kind of make everything look good. And uh, we see the scene, the city's on fire and we we hear a narration and uh, the narration is done by Rochelle Davis, who plays Sarah in the movie. And the the narration says people once believed that when someone died, a crow carries their soul to the land of the dead, but sometimes something so bad happens that a terrible sadness is carried with it and the soul can't rest. And sometimes, just sometimes, the crow can bring that soul back to put the wrong things right. And then we go and we fast forward and it's October 30th. It's Devil's Night in, in Detroit. And Sergeant Albrich, who is played by you know, Ernest Hudson, He's at the scene of a crime where Shelley Webster has been uh, beaten, raped, and her fiance, a local musician, and uh, Eric Draven uh, has been killed uh, after having he's been stabbed, shot, and he was thrown out the window. The couple were supposed to get married the next day on Halloween, and uh, as the cops are all investigating the scene and everything, uh, uh. They grab, they're taking Shelly out on a stretcher, and as they're leaving for the hospital, uh, Albrecht meets a young girl and uh, who's uh, Sarah, played by Rochelle Davis, and she says that uh, Shelly is her friend and that uh, her and Eric take care of her and, and stuff because you know her, her mom's not her her mom isn't. Uh, her, 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 not her mom. Her, her mom's very, uh, very negligent, and she's a drug addict. But uh, you know, she don't say that. But that's what we know. So we you know uh, Shelly and Eric take care of her, and Albert tells her that Shelly's going to be okay. But to, you know, tells her that you know Eric's dead. But obviously, she, uh, Sarah kind of pushes forward pushes him on and he ends up admitting that yeah Shelly's gonna die and uh you know what I was gonna say I really like Ernie Hudson in this role because I've only I remember from two roles one was the um the Ghostbusters where obviously he's kind of like a comedic role and the other one was the substitute where he was this um he played kind of an antagonistic I don't want to say like gang leader, but I'll use that for like lack of a, a better term. But like uh, he was oversee like a, he was like a drug per, like person. I'm trying to think of the correct term, um, but like the main boss essentially you could think of. And to see him kind of in this role where he's like he shows like empathy and support to me, he kind of gives like that like that father aspect a little bit. And I think he shows I've seen him like in a diverse role across all three like three different genres. Uh, excuse me three different type of characters i mean yeah yeah he's a great actor and he 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 does wonderful throughout this movie he's one of the one of my 
uh, one of my more favorite characters in this movie. Uh, his and uh, Eric, his and Brandon Lee's uh, interaction throughout is is one of the great aspects of this movie. So to uh, to kind of give a little backstory of like why why Shelley and Eric were killed. Uh, so Shelley was among uh, tenant was among some of the tenants that in the apartment building protesting against this uh, crime lord top dollars uh, uh, who has a tenant relocation program, which is actually just all a ruse so he could get everybody out of the building and they can set it on fire because that's what they do. Uh, they set most buildings on town on fire on that night. That's the, that's their whole thing. They just, you know, set fire to the city on devil's night. And so top dollar, he sends his uh, some of his 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 uh, his goons, uh, T Bird, uh, Fun Boy, Tin Tin, and Skink, to intimidate her into backing off, and they end up, you know, cutting her, beating her, and unfortunately raping her. And in order in order to kind of you know get her to you know do what they want, and unfortunately Eric walks in bringing in groceries and the assault ends up turning into them both getting killed. So after this happened, so after uh, Eric and Shelly were died and everything, we flash forward and it's one year later and we see Sarah and she's visiting the cemetery where uh, Shelly and Eric have been buried and she lays flowers at their graves and she, uh, she turns to leave and it starts to rain and we see a crow land on Eric's grave and he, and starts tapping on it. Well, she looks at the crow and she asks if it's like a night watchman and the crow calls at her. And then Sarah ends up leaving the cemetery and she gets on her skateboard and she rides down the street to a local uh, like hot dog place. Uh, and she ends up running into officer Albert that we saw at the beginning of the movie who's eating there. And he ends up, you know, buying her a hot dog. Well, we go back to the cemetery and Eric, uh, from the first, from the beginning of the movie, uh, he, he awakens, uh, and he climbs, uh, out of his grave and he's, you know, it's raining and he's trembling and he's just, uh, c- convulsing and everything because, you know, he's been dead for a year and he just has suddenly, uh, you know, came out of his grave and while this is going on, there's a the the criminal gang from the beginning of the movie uh, who's headed by T-Bird. Uh, they're just setting fire throughout the city. Well, uh, Eric ends up uh, ends up making it back to his old apartment, and he finds it all like a mess. It's all taped off, and it's just in ruins and stuff. And while he's walking through the apartments and everything, he has visual memories of the murder and what happened. And he's getting all these like flashbacks and stuff of, of what happened, and he's uh, remembering that T Bird and the gang, Ten Ten, Fun Boy, and Skank are all responsible for the murders. Yes, and one of the cool. This is actually a very interesting scene because as he's entering into the apartment, he's having the flashbacks, but he's like reenacting the flashbacks. So as he walks yeah. into like one of the examples is. Um, when he gets shot, it, the, the two guys are holding his arms out, 
and he's that's he does the exact same thing like he holds his arms out like he's going through the same motions again and then um when they when they throw him out of the um the the top of the building he goes through a window he basically does the same thing again but in this amazing shot he grabs onto basically like the it's like a a, a church window that's what it looks like to me so there's like a piece of um a piece of metal that he grabs onto and he literally like swings up instead of obviously falling and he swings up you can just see when things i noticed like man this guy either him or the stone double have to be really strong because he swings his whole body up and kind of holds himself like in midair for a little bit before swinging back into the building and um and that's when he noticed like he notices his hands are cut because he grabbed onto the glass he looks down you could see that he heals that uh, his mortal wounds are able to heal back up. Yeah, yeah, that whole scene's one of my favorites. I've always loved the visual of him uh, grabbing onto the thing and swinging up and pausing for a minute and swinging back and then noticing that you know he's healed and everything. Uh, and what's also was another great thing about this movie is uh, one of the strong points of this movie is the soundtrack of the movie is is amazing and it it fits and like it's mostly just like nineties alternative music but it it fits uh, the way it's placed in the movie fits perfectly and during this scene we have a, a the band Cure end up ended up uh writing a song just for this movie called burn and it's playing in the back it's playing in the background while this is all happening and uh after eric realizes that you know he can't be harmed and his you know wounds heal he ends up you know uh, replacing his burial his the clothes he was buried in with uh with like darker clothes and stuff and then he goes over to a a little like mirror where he's got some some makeup and stuff from uh from back his his, his fiance had had and he ends up uh painting his face up in like the in like a parody of a porcelain har uh, a porcelain harlequin mask that was hanging up that he had gave his uh fiance Shelly as a, a gift and he, except for instead of doing the uh downward smile he does like a uh an upward he does an upward smile. And the uh, he decorates, you know, he paints his lips and his eyes and all with, with you know, uh, uh, with, with black makeup and the the uh, little lines around his uh, around his mouth and his eyes are almost scar like slashes. Well, you know, he's he's doing that and now he's he's guided by the, the crow that we saw that was on on his grave uh, tapping, and he sets out to avenge his and Shelley's murders by killing the the. Uh, uh, by killing the perpetrators. While, well, meanwhile, uh, we cut back and Sarah is uh, at a bar called the Pit. When uh, she gets there, she sees her her mother, uh, Darla and Funboy. Uh, Darla with uh, Funboy. Darla and Funboy are are just immediately d- d- dismissive towards her, and uh, Darla tells Sarah that. Uh, she gives Sarah some money and tells her to go buy food. And Sarah tells her that a police officer already bought her uh, dinner, uh, but she takes the, the money anyway and walks away. And uh, of course, fun boy ends up, uh, ends up mocking her and stuff just, you know, cause he's an asshole. And uh, she, she goes to the bar and the bartender gives her a free root beer. The, but 
Darla ends up walking upstairs with Fun Boy, and the bartender ends up telling Sarah that there is anything he can do about her, about her mother, because she's she's technically not all, uh, uh, she's all she's all work now, and so they both watch as they head upstairs. <clears throat> well, we see we cut back and we see the crow is helping Eric uh, locate Tintin, and Tintin is. Uh, He's uh, he's obsessed with, with with knives, and so that's his his whole thing is knives. Well, uh, Eric ends up uh, locating Tintin, and we get this awesome scene where Eric like jumps off this roof, and he lands in like, his trash bin, and, and he laughs frantically while Tintin's like uh, in an alley, and he's uh, uh, you know kind of warming up by a fire. Well, Tintin sees uh, Eric, and he you know, he sees them all painted up and stuff, and he tells them, uh, he says the famous, he says, uh, uh, what are you doing out here? Halloween ain't till Manya. Uh, and uh, Eric just kind of walks toward him, and Tintin looks at him, and he you know, pulls out his knives and stuff, and, you know, there's obviously a fight breaks out, and uh, they end up they end up getting into a big fight, and uh, it's funny because Tintin he's throwing all these knives at Eric and Eric just is, you know, knocking them out of the way and stuff. He even catches one of the blades and he throws it back and he ends up pinning Tintin to a wall. And then, uh, uh, Eric gets on his face and he grabs one of the knives and right before he stabs him, he says one of the, one of the iconic lines, he says, uh, victims, aren't we all? But, and then he, you see the knife uh, go down and then it cuts and then it cuts, uh, back to, Uh, back to uh, it cuts back and Eric is uh, going to a pawn shop called Gideon's because he found out that Tintin pawned his the engagement ring that he gave Shelly there he wants to get it back and I, I love the uh, beginning of this uh, whenever he get he enters the pawn shop because he he quotes a uh, a line from Edgar, Edgar Allan Poe's The Raven. He goes up to the door and he says he you know he's uh, trying to get enter it. He says, "Well, while I nodded, nearly napping, suddenly there came a tapping as of someone gently rapping, rapping at my chamber door." And then he ends up breaking through the door. It's a it's like breakaway. It's like glass. He ends up busting through glass and he says, "You heard me rapping, right?" And uh, he ends up intimidating. Gideon and stuff and you know showing off his abilities to heal and everything because Gideon shoots him and he obviously heals immediately and Gideon ends up reluctantly telling him where the ring where the rings are and uh, uh, Eric uses his ability uh, to just uh, he closes his eyes and he just goes through the rings one by one until he sees the flashback of the ring and he knows that that's the one that he gave Shelly well, uh, Eric tells Gideon he'll give him one chance to live, uh, and Gideon tells him he'll he can he can take anything he wants. So Eric ends up finding his electric guitar, uh, and he and he also grabs a shotgun and he demands to Gideon to tell him where the rest of T Bird's gang is. Well, not one, you know, Gideon immediately complies and he reveals that they're they're all, they're all hanging out at this like hotel slash bar called the Pit that we saw earlier. 
where the place where Darla works and everything. And he also lets them know that Fun Boy lives up uh, lives in a room upstairs. Well, after you know getting what he wants, Eric spares Gideon, and he tells them to. Uh, uh, I love this line. He tells them to let the rest of the gang know that death is coming uh, for him, and that uh, Eric Draven sends his regards. As he's walking out, of course, Gideon is you know uh, uh, talking shit to him, and so Eric uh, he's not finished, so he ends up dousing the rest of the pawn shop with gasoline, and he fills the shotgun that he grabbed with with the rings that he had earlier, and uh, he gives Gideon a chance to run out the uh, uh, to run out before he ends up shooting the uh, the building and blowing it up. Uh, and, and everything, and but uh, right before he blows up, Gideon ends up making out the back door and everything, but he's he's burnt in the process. And I love whenever before he blows it up because he just uh, walks out because like Gideon starts uh, bitching at him, and then uh, Eric just turns around and he goes, "Is that gasoline I smell?" And then he just shoots the uh, uh, shotgun and blows everything up. Yeah, the, these sequences the first with Tintin. I mean, he. It's like whoops Tintin's ass and you see the damage after the fact what he does with those knives it's it's like it is a very gruesome death and then this yeah. whole scene with the with the pawn shop and Gideon Gideon plays the perfect pawn shop owner because he plays like just like a like a really sniveling like sn- snake weasel yeah and I remember seeing him um, playing like a crime boss in the movie Blank Man with the one of the Wayans brothers, I think it's Damon Wayans, um, which is you know a spoof on like superheroes. But he plays like the perfect pawn, like just the guy who's like very grummy, and you can just tell that he's just like a really deadbeat type person, like very like '90s like stereotypical what you think of pawn star. And he goes in there, he just whoops his ass, and I mean he. He beats him up and he stabs him in the hand with the knife as he's looking for the ring and trying to get answers out of him. And the the everything with the explosion and one of the cool things is when you see the the explosion because he shoots off the shotgun he put the rings into you actually see the rings come flying out before the pawn shop explodes. It's it's a very cool scene. Oh yeah, I agree. It's it's one of my favorites and I I love the lines that Eric does. Just he he. he <laughs> He's so sarcastic and stuff, and uh, I I love it. Uh, after the pawn shop blows up, uh, Eric a- a- exits and he's walking down. The, he's walking away from the pawn shop, and he ends up running into Officer Albridge. And uh, you know, he kind of explains who he is, and he's asking out the officer about about Shelley. No, no, and, and how will put me back up? Uh, he explains who he is and stuff when he's here, and uh, Albert says, "Please don't move." Uh, I said, "Don't move," and then <laughs> Eric says, uh, "I thought the police always said freeze." And then Albert replies, "Well, I am the police, and I say, don't move, Snow White. You move, you're dead." And then Eric says, "And I say, I'm dead, and I move." And then he walk, he he just he, he moves. Uh, down and uh, Eric starts asking Albert about Shelly and the rest of the gang, and he asks him and uh, he he asks about the rest of the gang and stuff, and then Albert just telling him about him, and uh, Eric mentions Tintin, and he says that uh, he 
he uh, he makes a funny joke about how he played with knives and, and lost, and then Albert catches on that you know Eric's the one who killed Tintin, and uh, Albert says, "Oh, you're the guy that murdered Tintin." And then uh, one of my favorite lines, Eric says, uh, "Well, he, he was already dead. He died a year ago, the moment he t- he touched her." Uh, you know, talking about Shelley. And then he says, they're all dead. They just don't know it yet. And I, I love that line. No, I mean, the, the dialogue in this film and, and the uh, the script that they created, it really is. This film is underrated. Like for the cult following is developed. And I think this film, I don't think enough people talk about this film, or at least they're not talking about it in my circles. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I agree with you. Uh like wow. like I know it got like critical it got like uh, critically acclaimed, but how good this film is and just going over with you again, especially with the dialogue. I mean, this should have got awards, and I don't think it won any awards in 1994. Yeah, I can't remember. I, I want to say Brandon Lee won won an award for this for this movie. I can't remember what award it was though. Uh. I'll have to go back to that uh, after at the end of this movie, after the end of the review, I'll have to go back and, and look that up before we finish this up. And cause I know I heard that he won an award. I just can't remember exactly right now at this point. Uh, while this dialogue's going on, uh, Officer Albert ends up uh, uh, getting Eric to sit on the corner. And, you know, he's questioning them and everything. And uh, while this is happening, there's some looters that are going to the pawn shop. And then Albridge turns around, you know, to get them to stop. And then he turns back and Eric's gone. Uh, funny thing, one of the looters, the, the, the looter that grabs the TV, uh, that's actually James O'Barr, the, the creator of The Crow. So, uh after this, we cut back and we see Sarah, and she's trying to cross the street on her skateboard. But uh, as she's trying to cross the street, uh, there a car's coming, and uh, she's about to get hit by a car. But before she gets hit, uh, Eric ends up grabbing her, and he places her he places her back on the sidewalk. And uh, Eric tells her that the driver. Uh, couldn't have stopped even if he wanted to and Sarah tells him that uh, she could have made it across and then uh, you know, she notices that he's got face paint on and she kind of asks him uh, is he supposed to be a clown or something uh, uh, because of his makeup and then he says sometimes and she walks over to her skateboard and, and she says uh, uh, skating in the rain is you know more like surfing I wish it would just stop raining and then Eric says one of the most Probably the most iconic line in this movie, he says, it can't rain all the time. And then Sarah recognizes that quote and realizes that she was talking to Eric. But when she does, she turns around and he's gone. And I was saying like the, this quote, it can't rain all the time. It's very iconic. Like a, a, a ton of people I know uh, who have crow tattoos uh, have this quote on them, including me. Uh, for those who don't know, like I said, this is like my third movie of all time. I have Brandon Lee as Eric Draven tattooed on my arm, and I have the quote, it can't, it can't rain all the time around that. Uh, oh, that's awesome, and that's that's true, especially, I mean, if you look at it like 
if you look at our current situation that we're dealing with, that's that's the hope we look for is like it can't rain all the time. Yeah, exactly. It's a quote that I uh, I say often too, especially in situations like that where where you know if I'm like in a bad situation, you know I just say you know it, it can't rain all the time. You know obviously you know, th- 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 there's light at the end of the end of the tunnel. Oh. Uh, the the quote she recognizes the quote because uh it's from a song on uh, the on the uh the last laugh record from Eric's band Hang, Hangman's uh Hangman's Joke. That's a cool band name, Hangman's Joke. Oh. After this, Eric ends up finding Fun Boy uh getting high in an apartment with in his apartment with with Darla. And uh, I love this because, like, during this scene, uh, you know, they're uh, they're getting high and, you know, they're starting to mess around. And all of a sudden, Darla notices a crow on the the window and she tells Fun Boy, hey, there's a big uh, there's a big fucking bird on this uh, on the window. And then he looks over and he keeps trying to call the, the bird over and stuff. And then out of nowhere. Eric sneaks in through another window unnoticed and he just like runs up to him and he scrapes his guitar pick across the uh, guitar uh, strings and makes this like really, you know, you know, irritating sound. And then fun boy gets all pissed off. and like, Hey man, don't, don't do that. You almost give me a fucking heart attack. <laughs> and, uh, after he does that, uh, you know, a fun boy ends up grabbing his uh, gun, and and then Eric uh, just you know being the sarcastic, being the uh uh being the little how how he is he uh he grabs his chair and he puts it he puts it down and he sits in front of a uh, fun boy and he's just kind of mocking him and a uh, fun boy ends up pointing the gun in in Eric's hand and then uh, Eric uh Eric tells him uh, go ahead and shoot me you got me dead you got me dead bang and uh he shoots him and Eric uh, backs off he 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 backs off and he starts uh screaming uh like he pretends like he's hurt and then he turns around and he shows where there's a hole in his hand and it just all of a sudden it just heals up and he's laughing and obviously, you know, Fun Boy realizes that Eric can't be killed, and he becomes pretty frightened. And uh, but Eric ends up disarming him, and he ends up shooting him in the thigh, and the bullet ends up piercing him in his hemorrhoid artery. Well, uh, while this happens, uh, Darley ends up running off into another into the bathroom, and Eric ends up kicking in the door, and she makes uh he's kind of making her realize that, you know, Sarah needs her and that she needs to be a good mother. And he ends up even like taking her arm and squeezing her arm and, and morphine comes out of her arm. So like he takes, he gets squeezes the morphine out of her arm. And, uh, he says another, uh, really, uh, really one of my favorite lines. He says, uh, mother is the name for God on the lips and hearts of all children. And then uh, after this, you know, Darla's obviously you know freaked out, and so she runs out of the bathroom and she ends up uh, uh, running out of the whole building and heads home. And then Eric ends up taking Fun Boy, uh, and 
he ends up giving him an overdose of his own morphine. Well, uh, as Darla's running out, you know, she runs out of the whole uh, the pit, which is like a hotel slash bar thing. And uh, one of the henchmen, uh, Grange, who is played by the horror icon Tony Todd, he sees Darla run out the bar and he ends up going upstairs to investigate. And that's where he finds Fun Boy dead. But before he uh, before he leaves, he sees he, he sees Eric at the window and Eric winks at him before he ends up leaping out the window. And then, meanwhile, we are, we're back with Gideon, uh, who ends up uh, – he is at uh, the head crime boss of everything, uh, whose name, like I said, sort of the movie Top Dollar. Uh, and it's a uh, funny thing. Uh, so Top Dollar, Grange, and Top Dollar's like lover, half-sister. I don't know. That relationship's really fucking weird. Uh uh, her name's uh, her name's uh, her name's Mika. Those names are never spoken in the movie at all. That's just what they're billed as. That's how we know what their names are. But their names are literally never said in the movie. Uh, so Gideon goes to Top Dollar's uh, Top Dollar's uh, hideout, which is uh, at the top of this like uh, uh, this this club, this nightclub, and uh. He's uh, top dollar. He's T Bird's just superior and everything. And uh, he tell he thinks that Gideon tells uh, he top dollar and everybody and and Mika and all the other ones about what he saw about how Eric Draven sends his regards and everything and what happened. Well, top dollar thinks he's making it all up, and they end up uh, stabbing him in the throat with with a sword, sinking it all the way straight down to the hilt. And then they end up uh, shooting him and killing him because he he, he uh, Todd Beller says what he says why won't he fucking die? <laughs> and they just shoots him. And then uh, and now we're cut back and we see Eric, who is visiting Officer Albridge at home. And at this point, uh, you know, Albridge pretty much has figured out who Eric is. And uh, we'll get this awesome dialogue between them two because uh, Albert says, uh, so are you some kind of ghost? And then Eric goes, boo. I <laughs> always love that one. That's the, that's the good thing about Brian Lee's character, Eric Draven, is even though this is a very dark and ominous film, there is some co- comic relief in the film to break up that darkness, which if you kind of put it into um like one of the things like I'll say like not to comparison directly, but one of the things that works for like to me the Marvel uh universe is the ability to be action, comedy, and give those emotional moments at the same time. So it takes you through like an up and down moment. And if this film is just all dark without like just that little even just that little sin of just that line of just saying boo, it's a very, it, it takes a very hard toll on you, but allowing somebody to have that comic relief, even for a brief second, bring somebody back up before you bring them back down. If you have to. Yeah, I, I agree. I'm, I'm, I'm glad that there's, there's those little lines of comic relief here and there. There's, the, there's a lot of things that uh, Eric says that while serious can be seen as funny too. 
so uh, Albert ends up explaining to Eric what happened to Shelly after she died, and Eric realizes Eric sees that uh, that uh, Albert stayed with her the entire time because uh, Albert ends up offering him the the file so he can look himself, but then Albert uh, then Eric ends up just uh, uh, putting his hands on his head and he ends up you know getting all the flashbacks and seeing everything that happened to Shelly where he found out that she went through 30 hours of pain before she finally, she finally succumbed to her wounds. Uh, he, uh, while, you know, Eric's, he's appreciative that Albrecht stayed with her the entire time. Uh, he wants to know why he didn't do anything else, uh, to help, you know, try and help solve their murders. And Albert ends up telling them, that uh he did all he could but uh the other tenants even the ones that signed the petition with them demanding to be able to stay they were too scared to testify and then when albrich ended up looking too deep into the case he ended up getting promoted to beat cop and then uh eric ends up noticing a picture of albrich and his wife and uh albrich tells them that you know it's his ex-wife that they're getting a divorce and then eric uh kind of gives them some kind of advice gives them a little bit of love advice and he tells them uh little things used to mean so much to shelly i used to think they were kind of trivial believe me nothing is trivial and uh i found out just looking up some uh, stuff around the movie that that line was actually uh, that line was actually improv by Brandon Lee. Yeah, and, I saw uh, that too, and I mean, I think that's one thing. Another thing about natural chemistry is that sometimes a character gets into a role. I mean, actor gets into a character role, and they're in it, and sometimes the, the most ablet things make a movie that much. Like just a little bit better, and you know this scene. Well, it might not seem as much at face value, but the ability for him to go through that with Officer Albert, and then uh, for him to experience that pain and have that dialogue, and for him to like kind of, you know, find somebody to reason with, because at this point he's so devastated because he lost the love of his life that he thinks everybody's the enemy, probably including you know Officer Albert. But for him to be able to develop a relationship with him, for him to understand, you know gives it another another look another part uh layer of this character yeah and now uh yeah like one of the things i like about uh, that's another thing i really like i, I love the relationship between eric and out and albert show like uh the, the they have the chemistry they have between each other and you know just the whole mutual respect they have and everything uh now eric uh he ends up. Uh, he, he's he's about to go. He's about to leave to continue, you know, on because he's got other ones he's got to take care of. And uh, Albert, this this another funny line is great that I like about this movie. Uh, Albert asks him if he's going to vanish into thin air again, and Eric just kind of meekly replies, uh, "No, I, I I thought I'd use your front door." Um, there you go with that comic relief. And one of the other things, too, that was funny, that I thought was kind of funny, was if you circle back real quick to when he first saw the Officer Albert, um, you know, as the Crow character, 
is he leaves and he's an officer says something to the effect of like, oh, at least he didn't do that thing like walking into the wind. I hate that thing. Yeah, yeah, I remember that line. Oh, uh, next we cut and we see T Bird and Skank are at a convenience store and they're waiting for Fun Boy. Well. T-Bird sends Skank into the store for smokes and beer for the road, and uh, Eric ends up showing up in the back seat behind T-Bird, and he he points a gun at him uh, to his head, and he t- he forces him to drive while Skank's uh while Skank's in the store, and then he ends up driving off, and then Skank notices, and so Skank ends up uh running out there, and he gets hit by a fucking car, and then he gets up, and then he carjacks the person. Who uh who, who hit him and, and it's funny because like the guy hit him with a car and then that guy's pissed at him and he says hey he, hey man you hit my damn car <laughs> it's like what the hell man you hit him but I mean he did run out the road so it's you know it is his fault but uh he ends up getting his car and he ends up chasing after him to follow him and uh, also uh, there's some cops that are just sit, sitting there waiting and this one cop has a uh, he has a coffee and uh, they see the uh, the the car fly by and so they immediately throw on their siren and go after him and then that cop uh, ends up uh, spilling his coffee all over his lap it's, it's pretty funny when that happens uh so like uh eric and eric has t-bird forcing him to drive and he's driving him to the docks and while this is going on skank skank and the cops are chasing are chasing after him uh, at, at some point, uh, they end up, uh, the cops end up accidentally hitting Skank, and that ends up, uh, taking them out. But Skank ends up, uh, running, getting out of the car, and he noticed he gets, uh, there in time to see that T Bird, uh, he ends up seeing uh, uh, what happens at the, at the docks. And then we cut back and we see T-Bird and uh, Eric has him tied up to the chair to his uh, seat and he has duct tape. And when he pulls out the duct tape, it's there is here where T-Bird finally recognizes uh, who Eric is because Eric's asking him about the events of, of what happened with the murders, how he remembered it. And then he, he did remember it. And then, you know, T-Bird obviously immediately he recognizes who Eric is and he suffers this like mental meltdown and he just keeps repeating over and over again that uh, who can't be you? There ain't no coming back. There ain't no coming back. And uh, he ends up reciting a line from the book Paradise Lost. He says, abash the devil stood and felt how awful goodness is. And Eric ends up uh forcing him to drive his car off the dock and he has uh he has like some TNT and and other stuff in the car and he has a uh a remote detonator and when the the car drives off the dock uh Eric detonates it and you know obviously it explodes and everything and uh, Eric ends up uh, marking a spot on the docks with a uh a lighter fluid and a zippo lighter that's in the shape of a crow I love when uh, when T-Bird just like melts down. It's like, 
no, you, you can't be you. There ain't no coming back. There ain't no coming back. You know, having that type, you know, that's one thing you see in those films with someone sees like they they see a ghost again, is their responses is the disbelief and my and the character buy-in that they have, like, oh yeah, like we really messed up. Oh yeah, I'd I'd be flipped out too if I was T Bird. Uh, and and then we cut and, and then we cut back and uh, meanwhile where after this happens, uh, we see Sarah. She wakes up on the couch at her house, and her mother is uh, cooking her is cooking her eggs and everything. And you know, then they're trying to repair, trying to begin the the repair of trying to you know fix their strained relationship, which you know we're led to believe that's all thanks to Eric's words words to Darla. Uh, it's here. Sarah ends up after this. Sarah ends up going to Eric's old apartment. And, uh, you know, she's looking, she's looking for them and she don't see them anything, but she notices that they're the fireplace has recently been used because Eric was there burning pictures and stuff. And, uh, she's going back and forth, uh, you know, just talking, uh, and stuff and he's not there yet. And so then she ends up, uh, as she's leaving, she says, Oh, she, she goes, you don't care anyway. And then all of a sudden Eric appears behind her in the window and he says, I do care. And uh, he kind of he tells her that, you know, he does that. Uh, or Sarah says, tells Eric that she misses him and Shelly and Eric kind of explains that uh, even though that, you know, they can't be friends anymore, that he still cares about her and stuff. And then uh, we cut and then we see Skank, who after just seeing you know, T-Bird die, he's. He goes to Top Dollar, uh, to Top Dollar's like you know lair that we saw earlier, where they killed Gideon, and uh, you know he's explaining everything that happened uh, to Top Dollar and everything, and they're all just kind of mocking him and stuff because you know he's out of his mind uh, right now. He's just being crazy, and he's also a, a speed freak as well, so he's just mumbling. Oh. Uh, uh, Top Dollar ends up holding a meeting with uh, some associates, and he wants to discuss discuss some new plans for Devil not, Devil Knights for Devil's Knights uh, activities and stuff. And I, I love this this part because they're all around the table, they're all around this table sitting, and Skank's sitting down, and then Top Dollar's asking people how do they feel, and he asks Top uh, he asks uh, Skank how does he feel, and Skank. Just out of nowhere, and just goes. I feel like a little worm. I feel like a little worm on a big fucking hook. <laughs> I fucking love that line. I laugh every time I hear that. That is a really good line because he realizes that he's bait. Yeah. Oh, uh, while they're all discussing all the plants and stuff, uh, Eric ends up showing up at the meeting. He's up just walking in the room and jumping up on the table and sitting down and. uh he he uh, he lets them know that he's just he's there for skink and skink only and he points to skink and uh top dollar tells them that you know that that's not going to happen and he orders his men to shoot eric and they all just everybody just pulls out a gun and just unloads on eric and then eric ends up falling off the table and uh, a guy ends up 
one of the henchmen ends up going to check on him and he's gone. And all of a sudden he gets shot in the head and Eric jumps back up and he's got, you know, these two pistols and just this massive gunfight ensues and Eric kills every fucking body except for top dollar Mika and Grange who end up, uh, who end up escaping to just running out of the room. And uh, while Eric, uh, he's killed everybody and then he's, he comes, he goes after Skank, uh, who's, who's trying to run away, but Eric gets him and then Skank tries to lie to him. He tries to tell Eric that he already killed Skank, that Skank's over there, Skank's dead. Uh, obviously Eric knows the truth and he ends up, uh, throwing Skank out the window. And, uh, uh, it's funny because, uh, Skank lands on top of the cop, of a cop car, and it's the same cops from earlier, from the ones that were chasing T-Bird. And, uh, after he gets thrown out, uh, you know, Eric's looking down the window at him, the cops see him, and they, they tell him, uh, you know, not to move, and then, uh, actual cops bust through the room, and, uh, Eric ends up, you know, fleeing. And he's trying to escape and uh, stuff. He's running from rooftop to rooftop, and he ends up uh, uh, running into a car that's uh, actually Officer Albridge, who uh, ends up uh, letting him his car, and they end up uh, he ends up escaping with him. And once uh, the coast is clear, uh, Eric ends up uh, breaking out and jumping out the the car. Uh. Since, uh, you know, since Skank's dead, T-Bird's dead, Tintin's dead, and, uh, and Funboy's dead, you know, Eric thinks that that's all of them. That's everybody who was involved. So, you know, his mission's now complete. So he ends up, uh, making, he ends up heading back to, uh, to the graveyard. But on the way, he ends up witnessing some kids running around because you know it's Halloween, uh, and he you know he it's at this moment that he realizes that it's Halloween, and the streets are safe for him, and he ends up smiling and and everything. And I I love this this whole scene of the kids running around with him, and you get this like slow music playing, and he's just got this like this you know this this, this smile that the, the smile that would just light up the room on him. And he's just, he's really happy in a moment. It's real, it's real nice seeing that. Uh, he ends up uh, heading back to the graveyard and uh, he gets to the graveyard and he notices that Sarah is sleeping, uh, sleeping uh, on, on Shelly's, uh, uh, near Shelly's headstone. And uh, Eric wakes her up and stuff. And, you know, they say their goodbyes and he tells her she, uh, she needs to go home. But, uh, before she leaves, uh, Eric gives uh, Sarah Shelley's engagement ring and tells her, you know, he wants her to have it, and that he thinks that Shelley would want her to have it as well. So now, uh, you know, Eric thinking, you know, everything's good. Uh, you know, he, he's killed the, he's killed everybody responsible, and his his mission's uh, gone, his mission's done. So now he can, you know, return to his grave. Uh, you know, Eric's. In his grave, he's 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 back in his grave. He's preparing to pass on, but he can see through the crow's eyes. Uh, Sarah ends up getting kidnapped by by Grange and and Mika and Top Dollar as she's leaving the the cemetery. And so Eric ends up, you know, 
going after and stuff. And uh, what they're what they don't mention, uh, you know, I told you earlier that they filmed scenes uh, with the Michael with uh with, with another actor who ends up play who was supposed to play the skull cowboy who was supposed to be eric's spiritual guide for the he would be like a spiritual guide but they end up cutting those scenes well in those scenes you find that, that they cut uh you're supposed to find out that eric has to stay on his path of of his of vengeance like he can't go after anything else if he does then he'll lose his powers if he strays away from his mission and it's because of and uh eric because eric's leaving the cemetery and going after to save sarah he ends up losing his powers and he's now he's no longer invincible and stuff yeah you know that's one of the things i looked at that uh the person that was that looked to potentially play the um the skull cowboy played by michael berryman who's like synonymous with especially older horror films like the hills have eyes yeah and um he has so many different you know film critics for and he's he's very famous because of he's extremely tall and bald-headed and um Basically, if you really think about the person who replaced them, it's kind of Derek Mears, who's been in another one's But It's interesting, though, because that that person would have been his that guy that, between the, the living and the dead and Cuban on that straight and narrow. I wonder how much different the film would have been with him being in it. Nah, I know. I just I always wonder. Uh, I mean, like I said, you can go and see the, the deleted scenes and see some of this footage of of him as the Skull Cowboy and everything. Uh, so, you know, Eric sees that, you know, shit, Sarah's been kidnapped, and so he goes after Sarah. When he goes to rescue her, though, it, you know, it turns out to be a trap as uh, Grange ends up shooting the crow. Because uh, he realizes that you know they that they've come to realize that the crow is Eric's power, his link between the living and the, the living world and the dead world, and uh, he shoots the crow and that ends up weakening Eric. And to test the weakness, Top Dollar ends up shooting Eric, causing him to bleed and collapse. So Top Dollar ends up you know obviously knowing that he's weak now and can be hurt, he ends up torturing him. Well, Grange warns. Top dollar that the crow was still alive, but before he could kill it, Albrecht rushes in and he shoots Grange. Uh, he shoots Grange to death. So now we're just left with Top Dollar and Mika, uh, and they fleed with Sarah and the crow to the top of the of, of a church. Uh, Albrecht counted on Eric's healing abilities to stop him, but he realizes that you know Eric's no longer invincible. So he has to help him get to the stairs. And uh, during this, Mika gets the drop on Albrecht, and she shoots him and wounds him while Eric confronts her. Mika claims she plans on uh, taking his powers, and uh, obviously Eric, you know, doesn't want any having any of that. He ends up causing the crow to peck Mika's eyes out, and it causes her to fall fall off the top of the uh, tower they're on, and uh, she falls to her death. Uh, 
Eric ends up making it to the roof where Top Dollar has Sarah held hostage. And uh, Eric offers to give himself up in exchange for Sarah, but Top Dollar throws her off the roof, causing her to cling to the uh, cling to the, the edge of the roof. And uh, while this is happening, Eric and Top Dollar ensue into a fight. And uh, Eric grabs a, a weather vane, using it as a makeshift sword, and he's uh, dueling with with Top Dollar's katana. While he and uh, Top Dollar eventually gains the upper hand, and he stabs him in the back. Well, Top Dollar reveals that he gave the uh, Top Dollar reveals to Eric uh, during this that he's the one who gave the order to clear the apartment building that calls Shelly and Eric's you know to be killed in the first place. Uh, saying that he lets them know that you know nothing happens in this city without my say so. He then uh, he apologizes to Eric for spoiling his wedding plans, and uh, you know he he laments to, to Eric that after he kills him he's he's gonna miss him for giving him a good challenge. <clears throat> Eric uh, though, however, he grabs top dollar. Uh, he grabs Top Dollar's head and he tells him, "Here, I have something for you. Uh, I don't want it anymore." And he ends up administering the memory of Shelley's 30-hour death all at once. All to him, he ends up just, you know, making him see all this and feel all this pain immediately. And this causes Top Dollar's mind to cave in, and it causes him to he is he cries blood for some reason. And he ends up stumbling, and he falls off the church, and he falls off and impels himself on a gargoyle-shaped like a, a gargoyle-shaped awning and, and thing. And I love when he falls. He falls, and like he gets, you see, like he's stabbed. He's impelled through like the stomach, and I think the the mouth too. And then you see blood coming out of the gargoyle's uh, mouth for, from where Top Beller landed. No, I mean, these scenes, especially these death scenes, I mean, they were done really well. Oh, yeah, I agree. And, it, and, it, and like, you know, like I was saying earlier, the the color of the film, it's all, like, real dark and gray, and then, like, the blood's really bright. Uh, after this, uh, Eric ends up, you know, uh, 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 getting Sarah and saving her from falling from the uh, – the, the roof was about to collapse, and he ends up saving her from falling – and they get back to Albrecht and everything, and uh, uh, he tells Sarah to stay with Albrecht until the help arrives, and, and they end up going to the hospital. Well, Eric returns to the graveyard, and it's there where he ends up getting reunited with Shelly uh, at their graves, and she helps him finally pass on. And then uh, as the movie's ending, we see Sarah pay a final visit to the cemetery and the crow is perched on Eric's headstone. Uh, she, uh, it gives Shelly's engagement ring and drops it in, uh, Sarah's hand to her before it, it's, uh, flies off. And then as we're closing the movie, we hear Rochelle Davis, who plays Sarah in another narration say, if the people we love are stolen from us, the way to have them live is to never stop loving them. Buildings burn, people die, but real love is forever. And then the movie ends, and 
uh, as the movie ends, but right before you get to the credits, uh, you'll see a thing that says poor Brandon and Eliza, which is, you know, for, for Brandon Lee and his fiance Eliza. Yeah, you know, when the uh, another part that I, just funny is because uh, it always there's a few I've seen this type of scene a few times, um, but at the ending after everybody dies and it's uh, there's um, Eric and the cop the cop officer uh, Sergeant Albright and then Sarah and he's like I need a cigarette he puts his mouth and Eric lights it for him and then he, he literally takes puppies throws it out he goes oh. If I survive this, I I'm quitting smoking. It's just like I was another part of that comic relief, and you know I've seen that scene in movies, but never gets never gets old. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the thing throughout where Eric doesn't want Albridge to smoke because he tells him that that they'll kill him. I mean, it's just nice to see Albridge finally. You know, he's finally gonna quit him after that. Uh, <clears throat> before we get into like the reviews. A, uh, or final thoughts and everything are a uh, little thing uh, I didn't mention before. So like I told you before, like, you know, like after Brandon's death, most of the scenes were redone and his face was digitally composed on the certain scenes. Well, there was a mask that was made. That was a direct mold of Brandon Lee's face. It, it had been originally intended for a stunt double's use if they needed it. And they attempted to create the scenes using the mask. However, the cast and crew were, you know, way too unsettled by the prop that it was ended up getting destroyed, and they ended up just going the digital route. I, I can see how that would be unsettling. I, I don't. I'm glad they went the digital route. That 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 mask just sounds weird. No, I saw that too, and that's I don't know how that would have gone over, and especially with prosthetics. Number one, it would I don't think it would, it would have looked right, but two, it's just creepy. Yeah. Uh, also, if you know or not, but the car chase scene, so they didn't have the money or the space to really shoot a full car chase sequence, so they ended up doing that with miniatures. I couldn't tell the difference. Yeah, I really couldn't. <laughs> but they did a good job with the miniatures. Uh, here's a little funny thing. According to Empire Magazine, uh, c- cocaine abuse was rampant on the set of this movie. With uh, there was like many cameramen that were shooting while high, crew going to the toilets to you know snort lines and and stuff like that. Well, one crew member said he recalled hearing the sound of a sneeze, somebody sneezing on, on the set one day. And Brandon Lee, who was annoyed by all this, he said, uh, someone just lost $50. Yeah, I, I heard that one, and I heard he wasn't exactly happy about it. And yeah. um, he was annoyed. And that's just, that's weird to me to, um, it's weird to like to hear that because it's just like, why why was that allowed? Like, why was there so much? Yeah. Um, cocaine abuse. And then also the other thing that's also bad about that is like, did that play a part in the negligence that led to, you know, Brandon Lee's death? Yeah. I, I wonder that too. Oh, uh, you know, it's, it's definitely not something you should be doing on a film set or in general, but especially on a film set. 
Oh. One of the, uh, one of the other thing, uh, James O'Barr, uh, with the profits he made from the film, he ended up buying his mama car and he bought a surround system for himself. And then he ended up donating the rest of the money. Uh, and he said that he was really good friends with Brandon, uh, that he became really good friends with Brandon throughout the film. And, and it just felt like blood money to him. Uh, and so he said he didn't feel right taking it and, and profiting off of uh, at his expense. Yeah, I mean, that's another. I, I get that, you know, on a on a different note, you know, I had a, uh, a a family friend who tragically lost their, um, you know, parent in a um, in an accident, and it was it was a big rig accident, and um, the family decided not to, you know, go after for punitive damages and things like that because they felt it was you know blood money that they're profiteering off of the loss of their mother and i could you know see it in this situation where you know that director who uh, the person like i i can't make money like i this film is prof you know potentially profiting off you know the death of brandon lee and and i may have played a part in that and i i just can't i can't live with myself if i did that and um i mean either either way I completely see it, you know, one, you know, especially, you know, like I said, my friend's friend who had a, that's the only thing I can give a comparison to, but I could see it him. It's like, you know, I, I feel like I couldn't make money off this and I don't want to go through that. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, James O'Barr, he, uh, he modeled, uh, Eric's, uh, he, he modeled the, 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 the look of Eric Draven's torso in the comics after uh, after Iggy Pop and uh, in the comics uh, 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 in the comics Fun Boy his overall look and attitude was also based off of Iggy Pop. Well, Iggy Pop was supposed to star in this movie as Fun Boy, but he ended up having to decline due to touring and and recording conflicts. In order to make up for the cancellation. That's he agreed to do City of Angels, which is why he's in the sequel, The Crow City of Angels. But uh, yeah, that's uh, just little fun things here in there after we finish this, since we finished the review of it. Uh, so let's get into some last minute thoughts and ratings and everything. Uh, I guess I'll I'll go first. Uh, you know, obviously, you know, I've said numerous times this is my favorite movie of all time. I don't think that's ever going to change. I, this movie is perfect to me. Everything from the story, the characters, the the actors, Brandon Lee's performance is you know legendary in this. Uh, I love the look of the movie. Like I love I love that they it was all. Uh, it's a very dark movie, but. And like they intentionally, you know, wanted to film it in black and white, and but they couldn't. But I like the how they kind of worked around it in a way. Uh, the soundtrack is amazing, and not just the the, the soundtrack of like uh, this feature in the film. The score is is one of the best. I love the overall uh, theme uh, throughout the movie that you'll hear recurring throughout. 
uh, that's on the score, uh, the soundtrack on the that that song, the the theme that everybody knows. It's from a, it the score is the the name of the song is uh is a uh, return to the grave, and uh, that's the the famous uh, little score throughout. Uh, but yeah, I love everything about this. Maybe it's just a, it's just a really great gothic revenge movie basically and uh for that uh i'm uh, i'll give it uh five crows out of five for me i really don't think uh i really don't think there'll ever be a movie that'll top this this movie for me this is just one of those movies that just first time i saw it it immediately connected to me just like that and i don't know why but it did and uh it's just it's always been something i've loved enjoyed i i have a, a crow uh figure i still have the the city of angels soundtrack uh i actually have a i'm, I'm lucky enough i have a signed picture uh, of brandon lee that i was able to get from a friend of mine uh i like i said before i have a, a tattoo of brandon lee as eric draven on my arm with a with a quote from the crow from the movie, and I I can't even tell you how many times I dressed up as Eric Draven on Halloween. Like uh, there was many times where I just wanted to be Eric Draven on Halloween, so I dressed up as him. But then uh, it was always because like all throughout high school and some of my in my younger in my younger twenties, uh, I was uh, I always kept my hair really long. And so if I couldn't figure out what I wanted to be for Halloween, I would just say, oh, fuck it. I'll just, I'll just be Eric Draven again. It was just kind of like, it was my go-to if I couldn't figure out anything. But yeah, man, I just, uh, I love this movie. And I hope uh, if you've never, if anybody's listening, I hope nobody's listening that hasn't seen it. Because I would, I'd hope you're watching the movies and listen to our reviews after you watch it. But if you haven't, uh, then I highly recommend checking it out like immediately. But yeah, the, that's my thoughts on it. What about you, JR? You know, like I said earlier today was the first time I watched it, and I thought it was a great film. You know, one of the things is when I look at reviewing films, you know, whether it's a four, five, whatever, is when you rate it highly, is there anything that you look at this film they'd be like, could we change something? Could we change this scene? Could we change this dialogue? Could we change this effect? I think everything about this film was done perfectly and especially when you look at through the eyes of a film that shot in 1994 and if you compare it to either other comic book movies whether it's batman superman or um sin city for me i feel like this film was ahead of its time like if this you know film if it was shot in 2000 2001 keep everything the same but you know considering the times change i think that maybe shooting in black and white maybe you know it's different i don't i don't know how it affected the film i'm not using that against it but i definitely think that this film i'm giving it a five as i'm stuttering trying to figure out my stumbling on my words i don't think this film's talked a lot enough and i think it's because it was done ahead of its time and people didn't understand this film and, you know, I was looking at some of the reviews and some people, you know, gave it a good review. And then I seen like these two knuckleheads be like, oh, this, you know, felt that audience, the death of Brandon Lee had a, mel- uh, you know, had an effect on viewers on how they view, how they see the film. And let me tell you something. 
all just Google, you know, films that were released post, you know, hum, I can't say the word correctly, but films that were uh, released after the death of either a director, a producer, or an actor. There was a, unfortunately, because death is, you know, is inevitable. And there's, for a number of different reasons, you know, it happens all the time. You know, Halloween 6, you know, was released after the death of Donald Pleasance. You know, The Dark Knight was released after the death of Heath Ledger. Um, this isn't, it's not unique to The Crow, where a film is released, you know, after the, the unfortunate death of somebody, whether it's, you know, old age or a tragic situation. Um, you know, they released Star Wars, The Last Jedi, after Carrie Fisher. They released, you know, Hunger Games after the death of Philip Seymour Hoffman. It, it and unfortunately, it happens because death is a part of life. And for me, this it didn't do anything to affect my outlook. Like, I honestly didn't even. I mean, I knew Bradley died, but I saw the film for what it was like. It, I don't think it changed anything. The only thing it made me feel was wishing we had more films of Brandon Lee and that this film has, you know, it does have a cult following. But like I said, maybe I'm not in those circles, but I don't think enough people talk about how great this film is. And I do think this film if it was shot, you know, 10 years later, and like I said, keep everybody the same, but I think it would have got a bigger, um, maybe a bigger box office or more people would be talking about it. But I see this, to me, this film and the style shot is very kind of similar to like the Dark Knight, Dark Knight, uh, you know, and as well as Sin City, like that darkness which those films were released in the mid 2000s and this film was released in, you know, 94. Yeah. 94. I would say as far as the way it looks, I would say this movie's closer to the way the Tim Burton Batman were. No, definitely. And I think that's probably because of the time frame you know, of the film being shot, you know, from, you know, the early, that was like around, I think, 89, 90, you know, but I think in the, like, the style of, like, especially the, the dialogue and the character's approach, for me, I see, like, kind of closer, like, that Heath Ledger, especially the darkness of that Joker compared to the, like, the, what's his name? Like, it's uh, Jack Nicholson Joker, where it was a little more comedic. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I got you, yeah. Yeah, the uh yes like Brandon Lee's performance in this is like it's obviously one of my favorite performances and like uh, the only thing that even that has even remotely came close to how I felt about seeing Brandon Lee as the as Eric Draven in this and his performance throughout the movie was you mentioned it earlier, was uh was Heath Ledger as the Joker. And I, I, I if I'm not mistaken, I mean I'll have to go back and look uh so like correct me if i'm wrong but i'm pretty sure he may have taken s- some inspiration from brandon lee's performance as they driven in this for his performance as joker uh that i don't know and i was just doing it real quick since it was released in 2005 and dark Knight was released in 2008 so i mean that's i you know this film i think definitely would have got more acceptance by a broader audience if it was released in this time frame I think in, you know, during 1994, it just was ahead of its time. You know, another one is like Blade, you know, that darker style was released in the late 90s. And I think as as time went on, it got more accepted. But 
I think it was, um, like I said, they definitely, um, they know what, what they did was right. It just was five years too soon. Like I see if this film was released, I think in 2000, um, you know, 2005, I see this being like a hundred million dollar, $150 million box office. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know if, if it was like, if it's just because of when it was released, what makes this movie uh, great? I don't, I really don't know if it would, if it could have the same success if it was released later, but, uh, that's interesting though. Uh, But uh, I get what you say, what you mean, though, about how you don't feel like this movie's talked about enough. Uh, I'm fortunate enough to be uh, my group that I, I surround myself with. Uh, I'm pretty sure they've all seen The Crow and almost everybody likes it. And so I don't ever uh, really see anything negative said about it uh, between who I know and everything. But I mean, if you kind of look, look at the film, like I was putting up the highest grossing films of 1984. You got The Lion King, Forrest Gump, True Lies, The Mask, Speed, Flintstones, Dumb and Dumber, Fur Weddings and a Funeral, Interview with the Vampire, Clear and Present Danger. And, I mean, those are, if you compare that to, let's say, um, 2008 list of films, you know, the films Dark Knight, Indiana Jones, um, Iron Man, Quantum of Solace, you know, just... It's that it was, I think, more of the action, more of the um, the comic was more widely accepted during this time of the mid 2000s than it was back in 94. Yeah, yeah. that's very true. Uh, but uh, yeah, uh, you know, just to wrap all this up, uh, you know, if you haven't seen this movie, Watch it ASAP. It's on HBO Max right now. I'm sure there's other sites, uh, there's other streaming sites that have it on there. But uh, and if you if you also if you haven't seen it yet, make sure to watch the Shutter uh, series called Curse Films, especially the episode on the Crow. Yeah, highly recommend it. Um, like I said, especially you know getting HBO Max for. Uh, the Warner Brothers deal, and then as soon as I saw the Crow as part of that, I'm like, this is a deal. Oh yeah, agreed. Man, HBO Max is wonderful. Uh, speaking of HBO Max, I'm actually uh, I fell asleep starting it last night, so I plan on watching it after we get off here. Uh, I started watching the little things. Yes, and I know those those are only on there for 30 days, so I need to get on that very soon. Yeah, you know it's been. You know, busy week, you know, with everything and tomorrow, you know, as and this this release, this will release after the fact. But as we recorded on January 30th, this will release on February 5th. And we yeah. already know what would happen. Tomorrow is the Royal Rumble, which is starts the, you know, for you and I, be wrestling fans, starts the beginning of the road to WrestleMania. So I'm excited for that. But definitely need to find some time for the little things. Oh, yeah. When I, you, you definitely need to, like, from just the first, like, 20 minutes I saw of it, I'm, I'm definitely 100% down in this movie. I cannot wait to uh, – I'm going to restart it because I want to watch it for the beginning while I'm falling asleep. But, yeah, uh, but yeah, uh, well, just uh, – we're starting to ramble now. Uh, uh, we hope that everybody 
enjoyed this uh, episode. We uh, we thank you all for your continued support, and we hope that you'll continue to stick with us throughout. Uh, if you're if you feel like it, if, if you want to help support us, you know, it, 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 if you can't, it's no problem. But if you want to support us, like I said earlier, we have a merch store now. Pick up a T-shirt or a mug or a mask or a sticker. Uh, would greatly appreciate it. And uh, just uh, shout out to everybody on the uh, Slash and Cast Podcast Network. Uh, all you guys are amazing, and we're very happy to be a part of you. And uh, just as always, uh, thanks to our, our editor, Carmen Childers, who does an amazing job on our podcast. And we are forever grateful and can't thank him enough. Any, uh, any plugs uh, Any plugs you want to do, JR? Well, I'll say this now because it'll be early, but it'll be after the fact. So happy early birth- birthday to Kyle. He has a birthday. It'll be in the middle of the week. So if you hear this, make sure you get, yes. shout out a happy belated birthday to Kyle. Um, that's one of the reasons why we did this film. Uh, not because Now it's I know it's a great film, but it's also because it was your birthday week and this is the one you really wanted to cover. So oh, yeah. uh, happy early birthday to you, Kyle. I appreciate it, brother. Uh, oh yeah, guys. Uh, so the, that'll wrap up this episode. Uh, like we said before, you know, watch the crow. Uh, support everybody on the Slashcast Podcast Network if you if you don't already. Highly recommend it. Uh, pick up some merch if you uh, if you can, uh, or if you don't like our merch, our our friends, uh, the Scream Queens, the, they recently released a, a merch. Uh, I picked up a shirt here recently of them. I love it. Uh, highly recommend check. Uh, highly recommend picking up the merch from them or our buddies Dead in Santa Carla or anyone else on the network who who may have merch. And uh, just uh, you know, continue to be safe out there and and uh wear your mask and social distance and everything, you know, continue to take the virus seriously. Maybe one day we can beat it and we can be back in theaters and enjoying all the things that we used to enjoy in life that we, we can't enjoy right now because of it. And just, uh, uh, uh thanks everyone for all your continued support and I love you. And, uh, we look, for, we hope you, uh, you'll join us next week as we're going to be talking about, uh, in my opinion, a, a very underrated slasher. It, it, it's like uh, when you talk, when you think about 1980s slashers, uh, this movie doesn't really get brought up as much as it should. Uh, we're talking about uh, 1981's My Bloody Valentine, and we may have a special guest on that episode that I'll be excited about that I know uh, really enjoys the movie. And I'm looking forward to that one. But yeah, with uh, just uh, with that being said, uh, it is time we have it comes. We must uh, bid you adieu. Goodbye. Good night. Stay creepy.